It was incredibly good for us to be away um, at the men's retreat. And those of you guys that didn't make it, we missed you. But it was a great opportunity. As we come in here and we have our young people with us, but we come in here and we uh, enjoy each other's company, we specifically come in here to be in the presence of God. And I hope that somewhere in this week or towards this weekend, you've had the opportunity to begin to say, hey, Lord, prepare my heart. Prepare my heart to be in your presence. Not that we're not always, but somewhere in here we have to find words that allow us to say, hey, I'm trying to be more aware of God inside of me and what does that mean? And I want to encourage us in that because one of the things that Jesus said is that the kingdom of God is with you. And as scripture tells us, I believe it's in the book of Psalms, that God inhabits the praises of his people. And so if the kingdom of God is with you, if the kingdom of God is in us, if the kingdom of God is coming, then we can be assured that as we gather together, the love of God is here to do things in our lives, to do things in our physical bodies, but more than anything, to do things in our relationship to God who is in heaven. And so we're in this series called God, This We Believe, and we're looking at some of the very core values and, and the uniqueness of the, the vineyard movement across the United States. And so this is the one that uh, we're beginning to wind down with, and that is the kingdom of God. And the scripture that I'm going to use this morning is in um, Matthew 13. And in Matthew 13, uh, Matthew begins to talk to you and I um, from thousands of years ago. And God is, is uh, uh, moving him to write this stuff down. It's his account of the life of Jesus on this earth. And he's writing down the things that he thinks are going to be important. He thinks that these are the things that he needs to make sure that you and I know. And it's important for us to remember that he is writing to Jewish people. He is a Jewish man. He was a tax collector, but he's writing to Jewish people saying, you need to know this. And in, in Matthew 13, he camps on these parables. And we're going to look at this. So we're going to read Matthew um, 13, 1 through 17. I want to invite you to follow along on your, on your implements of uh, um, the uh, destruction of darkness, um, whether it's uh, your cell phone and you're on version, Bible Hub, or whatever it is. It's always going to show up up there. And, and today I'm going to be reading it out of this thing right here. It's a little archaic, but it's called a book. Um, and this particular one has a title called The Holy Bible, and I've had it for quite a long time, and I do a lot of my study from it. So let's just go there. That same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables, saying... A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came, and they ate it up. Some fell in the rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came, uh, came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so the disciples come to him and they say, why do you speak to the people in parables? They don't want to know what the parable means at this point. They want to know why he won't just tell them what they need to know and send them packing. And Jesus replies, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. 
Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And so as we, as we press into this scripture, we see Jesus, and we see Jesus talking to to the people, not just the disciples, not just you and I, all of Madison County, all of Richmond, all of your particular housing development has come out to hear Jesus. And he comes out of this house and he looks around and there's a great crowd. So he goes down to the very edge of the water, which everybody on staff here is sure I'm going to fall off one day. During the message, he comes right to the very edge of the water, sees a boat, climbs in the boat, turns around, sits down, facing the people on the, on the shore, and they're standing. Nobody's sitting down. So if you think, have you ever like been at a wedding? And you're at the wedding, and here comes the bride. You know, here comes the bride. And everybody has to stand up and look to the bride. Um, and she's coming down, and she's coming down with her dad. And then she gets transferred over to the guy that's, you know, going to be her husband. And then the pastor says, let us have a prayer. And then he has the prayer. And then he goes right into the whole service, and he totally forgets to set everybody down. I did that once. 20 minutes into the wedding, I realized everybody's still standing up and I should let them sit down. And so I'm speaking the message and I said, why don't everybody just go ahead and sit down? And they all sat down like, thank you, Jesus, that you still speak to this man. Because they were like, if he doesn't let us sit down. Well, these people stood in front of Jesus and they heard all the parables and all the stories and everything that he had to say, but the scripture says he made them. You think it's too long to stand through four worship songs? They had to stand through seven parables and the meaning of them. It's like, wow, Lord, when do we get to sit down? Now, the reason Jesus jumped into the boat and spoke from the boat is because water, if you've ever been in a camp, Water is a natural amplification system. If you back out onto the water and start talking, it's kind of crazy amazing that you can hear people. When you're out at Lake um, 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 Cumberland and you're down there in Somerset and you're cruising along and you're water skiing, you finally get wore out, you pull into a, a cove and please stay out of everybody else's way that's water skiing, okay? But you pull into your cove and you put the anchor down and you're just like, hey, we're going to chill for a while, have some sandwiches. And pretty soon boats are going by and you can hear what they're saying. You can hear it. It's like, you people, we can hear it. Take your fight home. Take your fight home. Jesus does the same thing because he knows that. He sits, in the, he, stand, he sits down in the boat. Everybody else is standing. And he begins to talk in parables. Now, the scripture will just say that he spoke to them in parables. The disciples come and say, Lord, what? why are you talking to them in parables? Why, why are you telling stories? They're just stories. Parables are stories that are meant to force you to think about what's And we don't want to think, do we? We just want to show up in church, just shovel it in my mouth. Come on, just give it to me. Give it to me. Don't make me think. Don't, oh, come on, man. Don't give me questions. Give me answers. Tell me what it says. Don't go long, and let's do this thing. Boom, let's go. But we are fast becoming a society of people that don't want to. We are not paying attention to what's going on 
around us. And I know, look at this. This guy had one job, but he wasn't paying attention. If you're looking at that going, what's wrong with that? I'm talking about you this morning. If you don't know what's wrong with that picture, I am talking about you. And you're sitting there going, just tell me what's wrong with the picture. See, you just want it given to you. You don't want to think. This guy didn't want to think either. The word stop on the ground is spelled wrong. Some of you are like, oh, oh yeah, I can see your faces. Oh, it is. It's a stop that. Yeah, yeah, it's awful, okay? This, this next guy, he had one job. Just one job. This was his job. He had to put a sign up saying where things went. And he puts this sign. Do I, there it is. Nuclear power plant that way. Spider farm that way. And listen, I'm not talking about superheroes. I'm talking about a reason to burn my house to the ground. Okay? I don't like spiders. All right? They unnerve me. They have too many legs. They are straight up creepy. I know God created them with intention. I know that God said they are good. One of the questions when I get to heaven is, why on earth are they good? And why won't they stay out of my house? And he'll say something like, because your next question is going to be, why did I make flies? And why won't they stay out of my house? And I sent, I sent spiders to get the flies out of your house. And it's going to be one of those, huh, how far are we going to take this? And now let me show you the reason that New England, excuse me, that, that the Bengals will never beat New England in the red zone. This guy had one job. He had one job. There is no 20-yard line. The red zone starts at the 20-yard line. And for whatever reason, for whatever reason, he determined there just didn't need to, if I shorten up the field, we have a chance this season. I wonder if anybody will notice. We are a, a, a society of people that do not want to think. But man, what happens when you're not thinking is out there for everybody to see. And it gets put on national media. So as this is going on, Jesus tells these people seven parables. And he begins the story and the illustration with what's referred to as the sower of seeds, okay? You see, the field is your actual heart. And I love this particular um, a parable because Jesus, I mean, he literally, and, and, and Matthew captures it, he unpacks for it detail by detail. And he wants you to think about it. He wants you to take this parable and he wants you to wrestle with it back and forth. He doesn't want you to Google it. He doesn't want you to Google, hey, what's the real meaning of this so that I can get this right? He doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to take that passage. He wants you to go sit down under a tree somewhere, and he wants you to begin to process what is the kingdom of God like? What is it like? And so as he begins to do this, this is a story of God sowing grace into your and my heart. It's a story that makes us consider the actual condition of our heart. The purpose of this story is not for you to look around and go, hard path, rocky path, hard path, rocky path, birds came. Um, it's not that. The purpose of this passage is for you to sit down and say, in my relationship to God, what is the condition of my personal heart? Because that's the only thing that matters to God is his relationship to you personally. He loves you and he's calling to you and he's reaching out to you and he wants to overwhelm you. But he wants to speak to you about the condition of your heart. And he says, listen, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. 
When anyone hears the message about the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one, the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, the devil comes and snatches away what was sown into their heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. That's one heart. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word, receives it with joy, but since they have no depth, no root, um, it only lasts for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes uh, because of the word, uh, they quickly fall away. If you're going to harass me, persecute me, come against me because I'm a Christian. And listen, you don't have to look too far in the news in America today to see it coming. And it may come in our lifetime because it's escalating. The world is going to hate us, Jesus said, because they hated me. Why does that surprise you and I? And so there it is. And then there are seeds falling among the thorns. And that refers to somebody, Jesus said, who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to somebody that hears the word, wrestles with it, and understands the word. And this is the one that does, in fact, produce a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. A lot of times, ladies and gentlemen, I hear some of you or I hear other people saying, well, I'm not a disciple maker per se. I join together. I'm, I'm the seed sower. I'm not the harvester. I have never seen a farmer sow seed and he did not know where the seed was and he specifically did not anticipate going back and getting the crop. I've never seen that happen. As a matter of fact, John Deere is doing an outstanding job of making it more and more and more accurate to find out where that one seed went in the ground. Man, we got 250, $350, $400,000 tractors with little instruments in them with GPS. It says one seed goes there, one seed goes there, one seed goes there, one seed goes there. And when, when uh, November comes, they expect to come back and, and, and harvest that corn. Harvest that corn. And every little seed they put in becomes a head of corn, a head of corn, and a head of corn. They anticipate a harvest. So we look at this particular passage, and there's four kinds of soil that are spoken up here. And I'm not saying that this is a specific biblical number. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't think this passage is exhaustive. But Jesus is saying, look, the soil that, I mean, excuse me, the seed that God is spreading through you and I is yielding one for four. Every four seeds he throws out there into the field, which is our hearts, one seed ends up taking root. And I think that's just Jesus' way of laying the groundwork to say to you and I, broad is the way and excuse me, wide is the way and broad is the great that, gate that leads to destruction, narrow the way and small the gate that lead to life. That's all he's saying, okay? And so we look at that, and there's the path, packed down and hard. There's the rocky places, a little bit of soil, whole lot of rocks. There's the thorny places. It's overgrown, overgrown, overgrown. It's hard to grow. And then there's the good soil. Rather quickly, the path is hard-hearted people. Oversimplification? Too quick for you? People that may be beat down, but they're accepting it. So they chose to callous their hearts. They callous up their hearts and they will not change and nothing's getting through. Everybody needs to change but me. I'm doing it my way. It's going to happen like this. If that's for me. Tell them I'm busy. 
Okay. The rocky places is where there's not really soil. There's just a lot of rocks. A little bit of dirt and it can take root. And maybe you're one of those people that's been walking down the beach and you look up on the cliff and there's a tree growing out on the side of the rocks. But there's just one because there's not enough soil to, uh, to sustain more than that. The thorny places is when you walk into a field and you think we're going to build a house here and it's going to be great. But you're not going to build a house there and have a nice yard if you don't set a plow to the ground, turn it all over, mow it all off, spray it all down and do all kinds of things to kill the thorns. And when we live our lives in such a way that the thorns can keep growing, oh my goodness. So the path is where it's hard. The, the, the seed can fall on it, but it's so visible to the birds, they're going to come and eat it up. Often, these people are so busy critiquing or criticizing others that change in their own life is totally bypassed. I'm not saying that's the only thing, and I'm not saying that, that, that that's an absolute in concrete. I'm just saying that people with a hard, calloused heart very often are busy critiquing everybody else to try to protect their own heart. Often, this is a person who's wishing that they had friends. Honestly, this is a person that says, wow, man, I, I don't know what the deal is. And it's because there's a critical spirit inside that leeches out. And, and the very thing that they want is pushing people away. And when what they want is to draw people in. Then there's rocky soil. This is a shallow heart. It may be focused on itself. When things get tough, they bail. Church didn't work for me. Jesus didn't work for me. God didn't work for me. I tried religion. None of it worked for me. Nothing worked for me. Do you see the word that's operative here? They keep using one over and over and over again, and that's me. It is all about me. It's not. It's about the seed. But the rocky soil thinks it's about the rocky soil. It's not about the rocky soil. I married a farmer's daughter. She's from Ohio. I worked for the farmer for a while. They work hard. I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that the family farm that was bought millions of years ago, not really, I'm a, I'm a young earth person. Some of you are like, yeah, I knew that about him. No, you don't know nothing about me. Okay, so let's just go back. So the, the field, the 50 acres of land that is the old homestead, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that rocks sprout up year to year because year to year we would have to take the tractor out with the wagon behind it pick up the rocks and throw them in the wagon and haul them down to the creek and line the creek or whatever we were going to do with it so that we could actually grow um, soybeans and corn on this farm and it was just like wow that is the rocky place it's shallow people are like that things get tough boom they're out Persecution comes, and it's coming, ladies and gentlemen. It's starting to show up in places, and you are out. They bail. They aren't happy. This is too hard work. Oftentimes, this person is a person who is living in fear. And you can see a rocky heart, and I'm not, I'm not getting you to look at other people. I'm getting you to stand in front of a mirror and say, do I often say, yeah, but what if this happens? Yeah, but what if this happens? Yeah, but what if this, if you're living in fear, there's a good chance there's too many rocks in your heart and that you actually can make good soil out of rocky soil, but you have to do the hard work of reaching in and picking out the rocks. And I'm just going to tell you it's hard work, 
And emotionally and psychologically, it hurts. And you will cry a lot. But it will be worth it as you process through it. Then there's thorny soil. This is a soil that is contaminated by another seed. This is a soil that thinks all roads lead to heaven. Come on, this is good. And that nothing could be further than the truth than that. This is actually the seed of greed. They hear God's grace, but they will be happy um, if they finally get a spouse, if they get more money, if they get a different job, if they get a new community, if they go to a different church, um, because it's all about what they don't have. See? And the weeds keep promising something else. It comes up and it's nasty looking and it's thorny, but it makes a pretty flower. And I want the pretty flower. And the seed gets sown in there. And all of the looking around and seeing what everybody else has, is, it just makes us say, I hate my job. I hate my spouse. I hate my life. I want. I want. And Jesus is saying that there is thorny soil out there that all it does is look around. This is often a person that needs one more. This is a person who stands in front of a mirror and says, I've got so many problems, but if I just had this, then life would be good or better or blessed by God because more is always the, the sign of God upon them. But if, if you give them more, they will use more, and then they will be back in the same spot saying the same thing over again. And then there's good soil. And that's the fourth one. This heart is hungry. This heart wants God. This heart is willing to do the hard work. This, this heart will stay the course, endure for the sake of producing fruit, and it gives as it receives abundantly. This person's glass, you, you, know, you know this person because no matter what's going on in their life, their glass is half full. The, the car just got ran over by the snow plow. It got all torn up and they're like, yes! And you're like, why are you so excited? And they're like, because I wonder what I'm going to drive next. And you and I are like, oh man, I can't go to work. I got to call in. This is bad. This is, I'm going to go have a word with the county because they just ran over my car and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Never mind that that driver's having a bad day, too. <laughs> he just ran over your car. And whether you call in or not, he has to talk to his boss. But not so good soil. Good soil, that person's glass is half full. They're the kind of people that can find fun when they don't have stuff. They're the kind of people that emulate the idea that I received when we planted this church, that excellence is not doing the best with what you want. It's doing the best with what you've got and enjoying that to its fullest. So these are the parables about the kingdom of God. The sower of seeds, that the thing, kingdom, is in your heart. The parable of the weeds, the kingdom of God is sowing good into the world, but there's an enemy. I'm just real quick going down through all seven of them. The parable of the mustard seed, the kingdom looks small, but it's going to grow big. The parable of the yeast, you can't stop the kingdom of God. I don't care who you are. The parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl, the kingdom of God is worth everything that you have, even the breath in your body. 
because eternity is forever. In the parable of the net, that God is going to collect everybody in, but at the end, he's going to go through and weed the fish out. He's going to separate the sheep and the goats. And so when the scripture says the kingdom of God, what does it apply to? When the scripture says the kingdom of God, what is it referring to? The kingdom of God refers to the rule of Jesus on the earth. This is why I keep sharing with you when you're evaluating decisions, relationships, purchases, careers, questions, that if Jesus lives inside of you, the question is always, what Lord do you want me to do in this circumstance? And very often, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desire of your heart because he will change the desire of your heart to what he wants. It's not a matter of what I'm allowed to do. It's a matter of, God, what do you want me to do? To practice the kingdom is to do the things that Jesus did. Jesus came, and Jesus is king. He defeated death. He paid the penalty for the curse. And now the Spirit of God lives inside of us and is supposed to be moving us. We are supposed to be, as Christian people, keeping in step with the Spirit. Our authority in Christ supersedes Lucifer, the angel that fell from heaven the accuser. Jesus said, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so we recognize as Jesus came in and as Jesus lives inside of us, that the kingdom of God has come upon us. The second thing real quick is the blessings. And when we say the kingdom of God, we're speaking of the blessings and advantages that flow from living under Christ's rule. In the book of Hebrews, it says, then let us approach the God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. What a joy. We have somebody to go to. I have buried people who have no relationship to God, who have no opportunity, who have no faith family around them, and we lost the only member of their family. They were truly alone. But you and I, we have a relationship with God and we receive these blessings that flow to us. Jesus said, if you, keep my, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot expect the Holy, accept the Holy Spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him because he lives uh, with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is in in you and you and I are called to listen to him and act accordingly and sometimes what we're waiting to hear from the Holy Spirit isn't go over there and do this sometimes what the Holy Spirit is saying don't do that I know you can you have freedom in Christ but don't do that because he sees down the road the Holy Spirit is God so we recognize that the blessing of walking with God is that he's our father. He's preparing a place for us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And he has things that he would like to do uh, in us and to bring other people to salvation. John 1 says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a hus husband's will, but born of God. So as children of the kingdom and children who bring the kingdom, we have the opportunity to receive the blessings of God. And when we say the kingdom of God, we're talking about church people. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about subjects. If you belong to God, then you are the kingdom of God. You are. 
There is the now and there is the not yet. Jesus came into the world and he said, the kingdom of God is here. And then when he left, he said, but the kingdom of God will be coming and it will be taking over the whole world. In the meantime, the kingdom of God is in you. Go and make disciples. Go and do what I said. Go and do what I did. So you and I, the kingdom of God refers to the people acting on its behalf. First, we are brothers and sisters of Jesus, the king of the universe. We're subjects of the king, and yet we are siblings of the king. The book of Hebrews chapter 2 says both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. What about that? The kingdom of God is you. And God is not afraid to call you his brother or his sister as you act on behalf of the kingdom of God because you're family. So when we think of the church, the church is the family of God. Not just the family to each other. We are the family of God. If you don't think about any of these parables, go home this week and wrestle. How am I the family of God? Not how am I proving it. How do I understand that I've been adopted in? Or are you still trying to earn your way? The kingdom of God is the church. It's his children. First, we're brothers and sisters. Second, we are ambassadors on behalf of the kingdom. Paul said to the church in Corinth, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's the mission, ladies and gentlemen. The mission is for you to suddenly decide that maybe there is a God after all, and maybe he loves me, and maybe he wants me. And if all of that is true, then maybe he adopted me. And if he adopted me, then maybe he sent me back out. Because I can tell you this right now, it has never been my goal to birth five children and keep them for the rest of their life. But to send them out as productive members of society, as people who love Jesus. And I believe the same thing is true of you and I in Christ Jesus. He did not save us so that we could just huddle up next to him and cry out for him to stick a bottle in our mouth. But he said, I'm going to raise you up and I'm going to send you out into the world. And I want you to make disciples. And I want you to bring people in. And I want, to, I want you to talk to people that scare you. Because wherever you go, lo, there I am with you always. That's, that's King James, lo. That was some serious King James right there. So you know it's from God. When the pastor breaks into the King James, you know it's got to be the Word of God. You can't even speak King James if you've ever seen it. I can't read it. But Jesus said, I will be with you when you're scared. I will be with you when you're afraid to open your mouth. I will be with you when there's somebody in front of you that I need invited into the kingdom of God. But I have got to find people willing looking for the opportunity to do it not for the reason to not I got a million reasons to keep my mouth shut don't want to offend anybody I want them to feel good about themselves they might think I'm weird not listen to me when it is not we can just go on and on can't we but maybe it's time for us to start opening our mouths and just saying hey you know what how'd your weekend go man church was crazy the pastor kind of went off on the edge we're probably gonna need a new one soon no I'm just I'm, I'm just saying 
that there's a place here for you to say, hey, I went to church, message was good, and I'm still wrestling with this thought. What do you think the kingdom of God is? And when the pagan that you work with goes, ain't no such thing as the kingdom of God, and you can say, well, there's a kingdom of nothing according to you. You're a pagan. You believe in the kingdom of all things have life in it, trees, flowers, things like that. So what does your kingdom all about? But we got to lay a hold of what we think is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is in us, ladies and gentlemen. The kingdom of God is upon us. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. One pastor said, even now I hear the thunder of the hoofbeats of the four horsemen. The kingdom of God is coming. And you and I, you and I, need to lay hold of the kingdom of God in our adversity. We lay hold of it and take charge. Get behind me, Satan. Not today. My life belongs to Jesus. What now, Lord? Daniel tells us, then the sovereignty and the power and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High, and his, God's kingdom, will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. And what that means is, every, that word worship means fall down in front of him. All the rulers of this world will fall down in front of him one day because Paul wrote it this way, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. They can say there's no God now, but like I said last time I got to preach, the day is coming, and actually it was at the men's retreat, the day is coming when you will stand in front of God and you will realize there's a God and you will fall down. And at that point, the door will be closed. So as we wrap up today, we wrap up simply with the idea that these are the parables of the kingdom of God according to Matthew in chapter 13 of his account of the life of Jesus Christ upon this earth. And the question is, is the kingdom of God in you? And if you're here and you're saying, not yet. Today is a day for you. That's why you're here. It's why you're here. Can we introduce you to Jesus? Could you just get up wherever you are right now? If it's time for you to surrender your life to the kingdom of God, honestly, no playing games. Come on up here. Can we just pray with you? If you're saying, yes, this is my day. I want to surrender to the kingdom of God. I want it in me. Is this that day? I'm not going to make you stand up and start the song and do it that way like I usually do. I'm just saying, if that's you, man, we all were there at some point. Can we pray with you? Is there somebody in here today? You're saying, I want that in me. Can we do that? Are we good? All right, I wanted to start there, and I'm going to end here. These people are up here to pray for you. You're facing all kinds of difficulties in your life. You're facing all kinds of celebrations in your life. Your body is broken and you're tired of it. And you want prayer for healing because you want to believe that God still heals people today. And I believe that. Then these people are here to pray for you. And so I want to invite you to come forward after we stand up for this song. We'll go back to that. It's comfortable. It's not inconvenient. And we'll do that. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and be upon us. We just invite you to change our lives. 
God, we come in here and we're afraid to say. We're afraid to say we might not know you. We're afraid to say we've lived this long and maybe we haven't even let you have all of us yet. We're afraid to say that, but we want you and we're hungry. God, we're in here and we're facing things tomorrow that nobody in here knows about, but, but we're scared to death and we're losing sleep over it and it's robbing us of our lives. And God, I know you want to do something about it this morning. We're hurting God because something somebody did to us and we're carrying a wound and we're ready to face it it's a rock it's in our soil and we don't want it there anymore God we want to give it to you we want to take it up and put it by the river of life so it's for you so I just ask and pray that you begin to move us as a congregation God today we want healing because we know the kingdom of God is here the kingdom of God is the love of God his people. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to be upon us in Jesus' holy name and to wreck us right here, right now, in this moment. In Jesus' name.